Pastor Robert shared this morning that we are going to celebrate the season of Advent. So I'm excited to celebrate Advent with you. I'm excited for what God is going to do. I really believe that these devotional books are going to be big. I think the Lord is going to speak to you and God's going to speak to this church in, uh, in, in a special way over these next four weeks. And we want to lead you in that time of celebrating the coming of Jesus. Now, he came to us, we know, in the Christmas story 2,000 years ago. Here we have this beautiful manger scene there uh, symbolizing when Jesus came the first time. And praise God he came, right? Because when he came, he offered the penalty for sin and then rose again and gave us victory over death. So those are some really big gifts, right, that God gave us on that first Christmas. And, of course, even more than that. Uh, But also we celebrate when Jesus came into our life, right? Do you remember that time when you really had that moment that, wow, you know, Jesus is real. He's a living God. I, you know, I grew up in a Christian home and my parents were great parents, but, you know, I saw, I saw um, my interpretation of their faith was just, you know, going through religious motions and doing traditions and doing ritualistic things. And so I wasn't interested when I was younger in following Jesus. It wasn't until I was 20 years old. And I know I'm not much older than 20 now. But uh, when I was uh, 20 years old, when I had that moment with God, that advent where he came into my life, and I knew that this Jesus was real. This was a real God. And, and I know he loved me. And I knew he had a plan for my life. And I knew he died for my sins. And, and I've been walking with this Jesus every day. So uh, I saw, we celebrate that coming. And, we, and every day as I walk with Jesus, God gives me so many gifts, right? Is anybody here just, has God just blessed you in your walk with Christ and has just given you things? Have you learned new things and received new things from God as you walk with him? Well, if you, you know, if, if you're walking with Jesus, you're, God is giving you new things every day. But then also we celebrate the, another coming of God as in the scriptures that Pastor Robert read with, uh, to us this morning, that, that Jesus Christ, he's coming back. He's going to come back at any moment, at any time. Jesus is going to return and to take us to be with him. He's preparing a place for you a wonderful place for you. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we work through the message. Uh, But uh, we're going to be in chapters of Luke chapter 1 through chapter 2. We're going to just preach that to you, minister that to you over the next four weeks. So go ahead and read that and get to know that. I know you've heard it many, many times probably. But as you read it, just ask the Lord to speak to you again through it. That's the beauty of Scripture. You you read it one time, you read it a hundred times, and God can speak something different to you every time you read it. But again, we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 5 through verse 13. Can we all stand as we read God's word together? You know, I got to share this too, though. Um, the Lord, um, I, God gave me a word of knowledge. Before I share this, though, I want to share this word of knowledge. As I was worshiping and closing my eyes, I just entered into a place of worship with uh, Jesus um, that was special earlier. And as I, wor- as I was worshiping him, kind of off in a shadow, there was the image of a lion's face, especially the eye, the lion's eye. And as I looked into the eye of that lion, I re- it was a fierce, fierce-looking eye. But as I looked into that eye, I realized, though, that I wasn't afraid. Instead, as I looked into his eyes, I knew that I was protected. I was protected. 
And so I knew that there was another lion that was roaring all around me, but I wasn't afraid because as I kept my eyes on him, as I kept my eyes in him, I felt this supernatural sense that I was going to be okay, that I am protected. And then I, I came out of that and began to worship with you. Uh, how, however, I don't feel like that word really applies to me. I feel like that word applies to somebody here today. And I want you to know that as you enter in and as you fix your eyes on him, you're going to sense this overwhelming protection for, for maybe a battle that you are facing right now. But the Lord wants you to know, I am watching you. It may seem like I'm in the shadows, but my eye is on you. And that, that other lion that's roaring at you has no teeth, doesn't have any teeth. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God and walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood. He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Let us pray this morning. Father, we just thank you for the word that you have spoken to us. Also, God, we would like to say thank you that you are watching over us, that God, your eyes are upon us, Jesus. You know exactly where we are and what we are facing, and we can be secure right in the middle of your presence, oh God. So thank you for your protection. And Father, also, we thank you for the word of God. We ask, oh Lord, that it sink deep within our soul and, and spirit, that it'll change the way we think, it'll change what we want, and it'll change what we do so that, God, we will be just like you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people say, amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. This is such a, a wonderful story. I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to preach this story before. I don't know why, because it's a cool story, right? And some, sometimes gets overlooked by some of the other Christmas events that are going on at Christmas time. But it's a, it's a great story. Here's a story of um, Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth, faithful um, man and woman of God, and just, um, just desire something from God, and God blesses them and gives that to them. It really just begins sort of the events of Christmas. And we're going to walk through this, uh, this special story this morning. I'll just give you three points. And keep your Bibles open, if you would, though, uh, to the Scriptures, because we'll go to other verses in the text this morning. But three things, though, that, uh, that you need to know about this story as it relates to Advent and to your life and 
this coming Christmas for you is uh, the first is that God will speak after the silence. God will speak after the silence. And the reason I share that with you, it doesn't necessarily uh, explain this in the text that we just read, but the, the script, but the, but where the story takes place in the history of the Bible is that there has been 400 years, almost 400 years since there was a, a, um, a spoken prophetic message from a prophet or something God has done, uh, that was on a real national level. Of course, the Lord has been working and God didn't give up on anybody in those years, but this was kind of a, the silent years. They call it the intertestamental period. Because it ends with uh, prophecy, prophecies in Malachi and picks up again in the book of Matthew. And that was almost 400 years that took place. And so this is also, though, a difficult time. It was, uh, it was in the days of Herod, king of uh, Judea, as the Bible mentions. And Herod, as we all know, he was, he was a cruel man. We know that story, how he wanted to kill all of the babies, remember? And that's a, that's a horrible, this shows you what's in the heart of this man. He was known for his cruelty. And so this was a time where people were looking at their leaders and they were discouraged. They had been through uh, hundreds of years of being oppressed. They, they, they came out of Babylon, out of Persia's oppression. Uh, the, um, uh, the, the Greeks oppressed them, and now they're living under the strong arm, the iron rule of Rome, and uh, they're not allowed to, uh, to worship God the way they desire. They don't have the freedom they need, they feel, to, uh, to worship God, to live the life that God has called them to. They feel this oppression oppression by Rome. And so the book of Malachi ends, though, with, with prophecies about the coming Messiah. In fact, all through the Old Testament, some would say, where's Jesus in the Old Testament? Why do we read the Old Testament? Because the Old Testament is pointing to the coming of Christ. It is an Advent book that's saying, listen, there is a Messiah that is coming. And so the Jews were looking for this Messiah, this deliverer that was going to come and set them free and make their country I don't mean to say this, but great again. <laughs> it's going to make Israel great again. And, uh, and so they were looking to, uh, to this, uh, this great deliverer, and they knew the Daniel prophecies. Daniel had even kind of given them this, well, not even, he did, gave them, gave them a timeline as to when this Messiah was going to come. So there was a little hope in that, you know, it's dark and it's silent. We haven't heard anything from God, but just maybe, maybe uh, the Messiah is going to come at any time. And sure enough, it happens. God intervenes and God prophetically speaks into once again the people of Israel. And really not, it was bigger than the people of Israel as we will see. And what, did, what does he say? Let's look back together again, starting at verse three. I'm just gonna read it to you and point out some, some things that uh, the, uh, the prophecy tells us. But it says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Why? Verse 15 says, for he will be great. He will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink. This is the Nazarite vow that we see in the Old Testament as those who set themselves apart for a work from God. And it goes and says, and he 
will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that you and I have received the filling of the Holy Spirit. However, prior to this, that was only given, though, to certain prophets in the, in the scriptures. And what the angel is saying is that I'm going to give this boy, this child, the Holy Spirit, just like what was in the prophets. Even from his mother's womb, it says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That this coming prophet, he will be, he, he, it'll, his ministry and his work will be great. He's going to lead a great revival. That people are going to have hope again. They're going to turn to God again. And it says he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And that is cool because we know that Elijah was, was one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. So this really gets their attention that he's coming in that same uh, prophetic power and anointing as Elijah. And it says to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is cool because what is being said here is that, yeah, God is going to, not only is God speaking again to the people of Israel, but he's saying, I am about to send you the Messiah that I promised you. But before I do, I have to send you this great prophet who's going to lead you in preparing your hearts to receive the Lord when he comes. And he did. We know that. And that message will be preached later. But, um, but that's exactly what this prophet did. And this was hopeful. In a time of great silence, this was exciting. People are now hearing the word of the Lord and they're saying, yes, God has not given up on us. God has a plan to restore us again. Now we know that they didn't, most didn't interpret it uh, the way that uh, we know the coming of Jesus really was. But nonetheless, we know that this prophecy definitely was fulfilled. And we know that, praise God, it was fulfilled because you and I are here today because that prophecy was fulfilled. And we have received the Lord. God did prepare our hearts and we have received them. But here, I would say also as well, as we talk about Advent, as we talk about the first coming, let's think about the other coming, the coming of Jesus. Think about where we are today. Think about that um, that we are in a, a season where similar to that of those in the first century, where it seems to be hopeless. We live in a society today that doesn't seem to be turning to God, but they seem to be turning away from God. We think about things that have happened even in our own society, right? In, in our own country where we are compromising on values that we've held for, for many, many years and people have, have decided to turn their back on God and people are walking away from God. It's a dark time in our world. It's a dark time, and we, we, we've seen the, the effects of a pandemic. We've seen uh, the uh, effects of, of anger and, 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 and people who are upset and wanting to hurt other people. We've seen this in our society. And I, I have some really bad news, but I need to tell you about what's going on in the world. Like yesterday, I received news that in, in Indonesia, in a place called uh, Sulawesi, which is a province in Indonesia, that there were six churches, house churches, that were burned by Islamic terrorists. For some reason, they thought Christians were a great threat 
and they burned these churches and they killed four believers. This was connected with the Salvation Army group in the country of Indonesia. And these are reports that we hear kind of often that is a world where even the believers are saying, God, when are you going to speak again? When are you going to fulfill the prophecies that were told that you're coming back? Just as the Old Testament pointed to the coming of the first Messiah, so our New Testament points to his, this same Messiah returning and taking us to be with him, to live with him forever, where there's no more suffering and no more fighting and there's peace everlasting and the love of God is always present. And it's dark though. And many believers around the world, maybe you're not there. Sometimes I get there as I get older, I'm realizing that this world's not giving me all that it thought I, it, was, it promised me. And I'm saying, oh God, I'm ready to go and be with you. I'm ready to live with you forever. But think about those in Indonesia and in Sulawesi. They're saying, oh God, speak again. Come and take us to be with you. But I promise you, I promise you that at any moment, there will be a loud shout from heaven. There will be a loud trumpet sound that will look up into the clouds and they'll break forth and we'll see our Messiah coming back with his angels and his great heavenly host to come and take us to bring with him forever and ever. At any moment, it could happen. Yeah, it may seem dark right now. Yeah, it may, it may seem like that, you're, that there's silence in your relationship with God. Maybe you're crying out to God and saying, God, come back and quickly. But God says, I'm going to come at any, any moment. God will speak and come back to take us to be with him. That's a great promise that we have. But there was another message that the angel spoke to Zechariah. Look at verse 13 with me. He says to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been what? Heard. The angel says, Zechariah, I have heard your prayers all these years because the Bible tells us that Elizabeth and Zechariah are, are older, that they're uh, probably beyond the years of being able to have children. And, but they've continued to pray. And the Lord says, I have always, I heard the very first prayer you prayed. I heard the 100th prayer you prayed. And from the very first prayer you prayed, I had a plan to answer the prayer, the desire that I put in your heart. And that too is a Christmas message for you today, that if you're here and the Lord has spoken something to you or that there's something that you are lacking today that you know that you need from God, if there's something, a desire that God has put in your heart, but it, the prayer has not, does not seem to be answered quite yet, here we have hope because God says, I have heard your prayer from the very first one and all along the Lord is saying to us, I have a plan to answer that prayer, to give you what you need, to fulfill that desire that I put into your heart. That is the promise that we have from our Lord above. Now, sometimes we experience this silence. 
there's something silent in my heart. I'm waiting for, Lord, for the Lord to speak to. And maybe you're here. I'd probably show a hands. Many hands would go up and say, yeah, that's me, Pastor Chris. Also, there's something I know that God has spoken to me that I need him to do. But I've learned in my own life that sometimes God is silent because sometimes there is an unconfessed or unrepented sin in my life. I know that, and I'm aware of it. I'm aware of it. I'm willfully committing this. And so I'm saying, God, speak to this in my life. I need to hear what you're saying about this in my life. And so the first thing I I do, and and as, as, as your pastor, I would say, the first thing I would ask you to do is to present yourself to God. And if you're not sure what it is, if you're not sure, just say, God, is there any unconfessed, unrepented sin in my life? Many times there is. Sometimes there's not. But you may be here and you know what you're doing. And I'm not here to admonish you or scold you, although I probably should, like somebody did me, right? But I'm here to tell you that, listen, if you're having a hard time repenting, confessing and repenting that sin, listen, God is there to help you, to provide a way out for you, to give you the faith and the grace that you need, even this very day, to say, God, listen, I know what I'm doing. I know it's pushing me away from you. I know it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard for me to hear what you're speaking into my life. And so, God, I'm asking by faith this morning, will you give me the faith and the grace that I need right now, oh Lord, to repent and to turn to you? And God will answer that prayer 100% of the time. Even if your faith is as small as a mustard seed. You would not be here this morning if there wasn't some faith in your life. God wants to help you. He loves you. He paid a deadly price in order for you to be in relationship with him. He has so much to say to you. And he doesn't have, don't let God be silent if he doesn't have to. But there are other times when God doesn't speak. God doesn't speak because there, there could be, a, I call them the three T's, right? It, the first T is tribulation. God is allowing tribulation into your life. He stepped back not to hurt you or destroy you, but there's something that God wants to give you or something that God wants to take out of you. Every time you experience tribulation or hardship, it's always because God either wants to give you something or take something out that, that you don't need. That's the goodness of God. And so tribulation, it, it produces brokenness or humility. And God needs humility in order to give to you or take out what, what, what is keeping you from going into that next step or that next place in your relationship with God. Isn't that a great promise? Everybody's like, oh, I'm not sure. I don't like hardship or pain, right? But hey, that's the glory of suffering. Don't be afraid of, Paul says, no, you know, boast in your suffering, right? Because every time you suffer, God is doing something. Another T is, is, is testing. We serve a God who loves to, loves to give us tests. Who loves testing here? <laughs> Not even one amen. Who loves passing testing here? Yeah, right. We all like to pass a test. And God, sometimes it seems like God is, is silent because he's testing us. He's seeing what we would do in the time of silence. Just like what, we, what we're going to read more about with uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah. He, he wanted to see where they going to be faithful in order to be able to handle this great promise or great thing that God was going to give them. Listen, if God's not speaking to you today and it's not because of sin, it could be because God is testing you to see if you'll be faithful even in the silence. And has anybody ever had 
those times where it seemed like your it seemed like it was a dry season in your faith, but you just you were you kept being faithful, and eventually you didn't stay in that dry, silent place for long. You came out of it, and uh, you you reno renewed that joy of your salvation, and you look back and you say, you know what, I passed that test, and I am closer to God through it, and I have more than I need right now for it because I passed that great test. But then there's a third T, and it's timing. Sometimes God doesn't speak into your situation yet because God is waiting for the right time. And, I, and this is really where I want to stop and minister to you today because this is, in, for Advent season, this is where I want you to live just for a second. Because maybe the Lord hasn't answered your prayer. And I say this prophetically this morning, by the way. Maybe the Lord has not spoken into your situation yet because there is a time for it. And the Lord is saying, I have a plan to answer your prayer. I have a plan to give you the desire that I put into your heart. But you got to understand that in this story, timing was what? everything. It was John that was going to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. All this had to line up with scripture, what was already foretold, and also it had to be at the right season for the people to receive it in the right way. And so timing was everything. And God is saying to you this morning, listen, just stay faithful. Just keep your eyes on me. Just keep doing what you know you're supposed to be doing because I have got a plan. It's not a matter of if I will do it. God is going to do it. It's a matter of when. And when he does it, it's going to be glorious. Like the scripture foretold, it was great joy. And when God does it, you know that God did it. God's going to get all the glory for it. You're going to look back and say, I was telling somebody the other day, I mean, I've, I mean, I've had some successes in my ministry. I've had some non-successes in my ministry, but I had some successes in my ministry. And I would say almost all of those successes, as I look back on them, were accidents on my part. My part. <laughs> I walked into my success and people said, Chris, you did a great job. I was like, oh, well, you know, it was an accident. It just happened. You know, God pulled it out, right? God pulled it off. That's the goodness of God. He will not stay silent forever, I promise you. We don't serve a God that stays silent. We have a God that has so much to say to you. He has so much to say about everything that you're facing right now. He wants to speak so many things into your life, like with Elizabeth and with Zacharias. God loves you, and he has a great plan for you. The second thing that we get from this story as it relates to the Advent season and your and your Christmas season is that Jesus is the hope for lifelessness or despair or lifelessness. Jesus is the hope for lifelessness. Now we know in this story that it says Zachariah and Elizabeth were barren. And that means she, she couldn't have a child, of course. And we don't know uh, if it was physically her issue or if it was physically his issue, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because God had a plan in the whole situation that she technically wasn't, wasn't barren after all. And so uh, uh, we know that, uh, that she desired there to have that this uh, gift or, or having a child was something that was very serious to her, very important to her because 
in that society, we know that someone who was barren uh, would have been seen by others and one would have saw themselves as having a divine disfavor, that I must have done something or someone has done something to me that has is, uh, that is, that is given me this disfavor with God. And this was also disheartening to a Jewish family as raising a family was was the divine mandate. If you were Jewish, right, we know in the Old Testament, we had this cultural mandate to to be fruitful and multiply. So uh, the, the, the Jewish people understood that it was God's plan and purpose for them to have children. And so what someone who wasn't having children had no sense of purpose in their life. Uh, and, uh, and, and we also know that, that they wanted a child, right? Because they were praying earnestly for it. We see the desire in their heart. It was more than just, just wanting a child because it was expected of them in society. It was more than having a child because they were trying to you know, fulfill the scriptures. But we see that they genuinely desired to nurture someone uh, and, and prepare someone for the next generation. And, and, and we see that, uh, and so that produced in, after so many years and, and now growing old and being beyond the time to be able to have children, this put in her such a, uh, such a depression or a sense that uh, maybe this is not going to happen for me, and, uh, and, 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 and it was very frustrating for her. However, what we see, though, is that she did not give up, even with a little hope in believing that God could answer the prayer like he answered for Sarah, Abraham's wife, that God could answer the prayer just like he answered for Hannah's wife. And so Elizabeth continued to pray. But this was also symbolic of what was happening in Israel at the time. Again, as I shared before, it had been many years since God had spoke to the people. And the people just had come to a place, many, and said, you know what? I'm just going to turn away from the Jewish traditions and customs. I'm just going to follow the worldly systems because I just I don't see any life anymore in mom and dad's religion. I don't see any life in just going through the motions. Uh, and so I'm just going to f- try to find life somewhere else. And so you're starting to see sort of this life lifelessness kind of develop in, in the heart and in the culture and society of the Jews at their time. But praise be to God that even in their lifeless place of despair or in their hopelessness, that God interrupts and gives, uh, gives to Elizabeth what she prayed for. Because it is God's desire to give us new life. That's the promise of Jesus. God desires to give you life. He, that, is, that is the evidence. Listen, on April 7th, 1997, I know who Chris was on April 6th. I know that I was a dead man. I was a dead man walking. I had given up, like I said, on mom and dad's religion. I was chasing this and chasing that, hoping that I would find life here or I'd find life with that person. And you know what? It, it started out well, but it always ended in death. But on April 7th, when I met God, he put something in me, just like he put into Elizabeth. He put this new life in me, this new passion, this new purpose, this new hope living inside of me. And this is why I preach the way I do. This is why I I shout the way I do, because I'm excited. I've got life in me that wasn't there before. How does God put... This, uh, how does God give us this new hope? And I share with you the first way is by putting this new life in us. And listen, only Jesus, 
Only G, only a relationship with Jesus. Only Jesus can put this new life in you. It's not going to be found in any other way of living. It's not going to be found in any other worldly system. It's not going to be found in any other relationship. I love my spouse, and yes, there is a lot of life in my marriage. However, I know, though, that she's not going to be able to give me this hope that only comes from Jesus. Jesus gives us this new life. First Peter chapter one, verse three says this, one of my go-to verses here. It says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Everybody say living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're not like everybody else, folks. There is a, a hope that lives in us that doesn't live in anybody else. Everybody else is saying, you know what? I don't know if this is going to work out. You know, I don't know if this new president is going to work out. I don't know if this new job is going to work out. I don't know if this new relationship is going to work out. This is probably not going to worry. Everything's going to end in despair. It's all going to fall apart. But not the people of God. The people of God walk around with a living hope, knowing that God is with them, and they're walking hand in hand with Jesus, and Jesus is helping them and guiding them and leading them, and all we can see are straight paths. Because we have this new hope inside of us. Now, I want you to come and kick me when I start to grumble and complain. And you need to say, you better practice what you preach. Because listen, if you're here today and you don't have hope, if you're here today and it looks like things aren't working out, and maybe you're here today and, 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 and you're just you're full of despair, listen, I want to invite you to ask Jesus back into your heart. And I want you to say, Jesus, I need living hope. And again, that's a prayer that God will answer 100% of the time. God will always, always, always give you hope, even in the worst circumstance. I guarantee you right now in Central Sulawesi in Indonesia that they are having a worship service. You know why? Because I got video of it. Amen. I've got video of the funeral and people singing to God with all their hearts because in Jesus, they have a living hope. A second way God gives us hope in our lifelessness is by removing the reproach or your reproach. We see this in Elizabeth's proclamation. Look at verse 25. And this is what Elizabeth says. She said, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Reproach. It's a word we don't use often. I remember hearing the word once about a church that we, uh, we became a part of. And someone said, Chris, you don't want to merge with that church because there is a reproach on that church that people in the community disapprove of that work. And so if you, if you merge with them, that reproach will be on you. And I said, that's a weird word. I mean, I'd heard it before. <laughs> I went and I prayed about it. I said, God, what is this thing about a reproach? You know, and I began to pray and seek the Lord, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, Chris, I'm going to take away that reproach. Then, And I, I, really, I didn't see a reproach. I've asked others, uh, you know, is there a reproach? Is there a disapproval on this church? And so this person that spoke to me put their own reproach on the situation when there really wasn't ever one to begin with, right? And so we merged with that church, and God filled that church with so much life. And I'm telling you that that, that city was so happy our church was there. And people would come and find healing and hope and salvation. Wouldn't you say, May? You know, and there was no reproach. But here we go. We'll talk about reproach anyways. <laughs> God removes, though, di disapproval or a reproach from the way 
uh, others think about you. There are people that look at your life and they say, you know what, you, you're a failure, you've messed up, you've made too many mistakes, and you're doing this wrong, doing that wrong, and they will put a reproach on you, right? And you're like, whoa, wait a minute, you know, I thought we're all in this together kind of thing. But no, there are people that will have a reproach. They, they put a reproach on you, and that does happen. That does happen. But I don't think it happens as much as you think it happens because I think a lot of times you, there is a reproach on the way you think others think about you. That, you know, you're, you're sitting around thinking, man, these people think this about me. They're always thinking about my failures. They don't think I, I, I measure up to other people and so forth. And you put your own reproach on yourself, right? And really, those people, you know who they're thinking about? Themselves, <laughs> right? And so sometimes we put, that on, we put that reproach on us and that doesn't even need to be there. But it, nonetheless, it's there, it's there, right? And then there's a, there's a third reproach, and this is the way you think about yourself. And I want to be sensitive, and I, you know, I, I know I'm talking real, real proud right now, but you know, this, is, this, this, this here is an area that I feel like we do to ourselves more than we should, and we put our own reproach on our lives. We, look, we, pay, we focus and look too much at our failures. We look too much at our circumstances. Uh, we, we look too much at our disabilities. And we ourselves put our own reproach on ourselves, Right? It's disapproval. And so all along, you've got a God that made you and created you for him. And God didn't make mistakes. God didn't make a single mistake. But God approves of every single one of us. And he, I, the reason I know that is because he died for you, for you to walk in his approval and live in his approval. But there's so much disapproval, so much reproach. And Elizabeth, she didn't say, God, thank you for giving me this great gift of life. She says, no, thank you, God, for removing the reproach. The reproach was controlling her. The disapproval was killing her. She was dying inside, all because of the reproach. And there's so many that walk around and live in their reproach, and they're always thinking of what others are thinking about them. They're always living in what the others are saying about them. They're always living in what they think about themselves. And inside, they are dying inside. And so you see why many people turn to the things that they do because they're controlled by their reproach. But Jesus says, one way I give you life is by taking away the reproach. I know this is true. I used to live that way, believe it or not. Did you know that? I was always the, trying to be the coolest man on the block, you know? I didn't want anybody to think this about me, and I was careful about what I did, and I was always conscious of making sure I didn't make any mistakes, and I'd always get upset with when I did, and, you know, I was just always living in that, but there was a day when God came, and he removed that away from me, and I can run and dance and shout and act silly and hoot and holler, all, and I don't care what you think about me. I love Jesus. I love Jesus and the reproach is gone and I've got life living in me. And you know what? If you're here today and maybe you're saying, Pastor, you're speaking to me. That's, I, I'm, I've got this reproach in my life. But let me tell you a prayer that God answers 100% of the time is he will take away the reproach. He desires to. He loves you and he's got a plan to do that for you. A third way he gives us hope in our lifelessness is by giving you a divine purpose. Giving you a divine purpose. You see, um, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were faithful. They were doing what they were supposed to do, and he was doing his priestly work, and just try, being faithful in what he was doing. We're gonna talk about that a little bit later. But really, they were doing it just, you know, they were doing it because they love God. 
No question. They were doing it. The Bible says they were righteous. They had a good heart, good attitude about it. You know, but they, they just like, you know, what are, what are we, what is all this, all these sacrifices and all this playing and praying and, and coming together? What's all this accomplishing? You know, it just seems like um, it's to no end that we're doing it for the sake of just doing it. And sometimes in your religious service, sometimes in your worship and your walk with God, you know, you're just like, where's the purpose in this? Am I just doing this because mom and daddy want me to do it? Am I just doing it because all my friends? are doing it. But then there's a place though where you enter in your walk with God, where God just gives you this divine purpose in your life. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. You move from this kind of place and walk with God where you know God to where you are known by God. I know God knows me. I have no question about it, even right now as I stand, but even tomorrow morning when I wake up, I may have to have some help with it. I may have to get spend some time in God's word and some time in prayer, but I know that God knows who I am. And I know that he's got something for me to do. You see, in this story, he not only answered the prayer for Zechariah and for Elizabeth for a child. They wanted a child, and he said, listen, this child's going to be good. You're going to be happy, you know, because you have a child. But let me tell you, there is a bigger purpose for this child. This child, I'm going to use this child to reach the next generation. This child that I'm giving you is bigger than you just nurturing at home. No, I've got a plan to put, uh, put my spirit in this child, and this child is going to turn the hearts of the next generation to God. And he's not only that, but this child is going to make people ready for the coming of Jesus. Isn't that cool? That God says, I've got purpose for you. And listen, this is what happens. When you let God in and you begin to say, Lord, I'm ready for you to give me this living hope. God says, I will, but with it comes this calling, this divine purpose, this, this task that God will assign to you and he will give you gifts to do it and you will walk in it and God will use you to raise up the next generation to, to will turn others to God who will bring about a revival in our world. Listen, my kids, I raise them up and I give them Cheerios and I, you know, get them to and fro wherever they need. I get more than Cheerios. But, but listen, I know with my children, I know that my calling to these children is much bigger than me just taking care of them and making sure they got food to eat and a place to sleep and they finish their schoolwork, which they rarely do. I'm kidding, they do finish their schoolwork. I realize that I've got a much higher calling to these kids. What I'm doing is I'm pouring into them the life that's inside of me because I know that our God is going to use them to reach the net, their generation, to turn their generation to Jesus. And who knows, who knows, who knows? Maybe they're the ones who are going to bring about the next coming of Jesus Christ. That's cool stuff. And when I come to church and I preach and I talk to the young folks, I don't come and I kick them and tell them how rotten and terrible they are. You know, I, why would I do that? Because they're the next generation that's going to turn the hearts of men to their God. I come in and I look for opportunities to build them up. 
And I see others greeting people at the door because they know those who are walking in that door. God has a purpose for their life and they want to pour into that. They're not there just because, let me just check the box. I did something for Jesus today. They are there because they want to encourage you and build you up. They have a divine purpose. This guy right here, he's got a divine purpose in my life. I look for this guy every day. You know why? There's so much life in him. There's so much life in him. He told me this morning, he says, Chris, I just feel like I'm on fire sometimes. This guy right here, he speaks into my life. I look for him every Sunday. He wasn't here one Sunday. What did I do, brother? I wasn't, I, I was disoriented. <laughs> God gives every single one of you a divine purpose. You have a calling. You have something that God assigns to you for God to complete. The last thing here is that faithfulness is favored by God. Faithfulness is favored by God. Look at verse 6. He says, and they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. You know who that reminds me of? Noah. Remember what God said about Noah? Yeah, he was righteous. He walked with God. There's something valuable about walking with God. It says they're you know, just faithful and living. They were righteous and blameless. They treated others the right way. They loved others as themselves. They love God with all their heart, right? It's beautiful. It's just beautiful people. You know, it's kind of like, like a lot of you in here. You're just, like, you're just faithful folks. I appreciate you guys so much. I love you guys. Faithful in prayer. We know, we, we read the story that Zechariah was, um, you know, name of, name of Zechariah is the Lord remembered. I know that because we named our kid Zachary. And uh, that was uh, one of the things that, that jumped out about that name. Zechariah, he's always, you know, the Lord remembers. I'm going to keep praying because the Lord remembers. That's my name. That's my name. The Lord remembers. I know I'm going to keep praying. Okay, now I'm 60 years old or however, but the Lord remembers. God's going to answer. Faithful in prayer. Faithful in serving. We just see that in this story. He's at his post. He's available. He didn't say, nah, I can't make it this week. I got a Christmas party coming up, and so uh, we'll let Pastor Robert do it. I can't do it. He's faithful. Always there, ready to do what he was supposed to do, what he was called to do. He didn't complain or criticize or blame. At least I don't think he did. But I don't think you can be righteous and blameless, complaining and criticizing and blaming. He didn't look at his wife and say, you know what, it's your fault we don't have children. You know, if you would have done this or done that or hadn't done this, you know, we'd probably have children today. And vice versa. She didn't argue with her husband and blame him because things were the way they were. No, they're just faithful, just praying, just going to church. Just doing what God wanted them to do. And criticize and say, you know what? If the government was this, if I had a better job, had more money, was able to go on that vacation. I didn't criticize, complain, blame. It's his fault, their fault. They did this to me and that's why I'm in the situation I'm in. They didn't do these things. No, it just says they were faithful. Kept their eyes on God the whole time. Believing, God remembered, God remembered, God remembered. And their faithfulness didn't go unnoticed. And I'm here to tell you today that your faithfulness does not go unnoticed. 
You may be in a circumstance that you don't like. You may be in the middle of something that you wished you were not in. But let me tell you, there is value. There is favor with being faithful. And I believe that God is standing. I know God is standing right there with you in the middle of the mess. He knows it. He's aware of it. He knows it even better than you. And he's been guiding you through it. He's even been holding you when you couldn't walk through it yourself. And he promises you that no fire. When you walk through it, you won't get burned. And the floodwaters won't sweep you away. And the mountains in the way will melt into the sea. God says, listen, even in the midst of your crisis, I am with you. I I am, you are faithful and you are favored by God. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. We'll go ahead and close. You know, the way this story worked out is pretty cool, wasn't it? That Zachariah, he was one of the, um, uh, one of the, the groups of, of um, priests. And one of the, and out of those group, you know, it was 20 priests. That's the estimate some scholars say at the time. Uh, and that uh, for his group to be called and then for him to be out of a thousand priests for the lot to fall on him, then that, that's, that's pretty, pretty cool. And this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go into the temple and the holy place and to do this kind of activity was really once in a lifetime, or maybe no lifetime. Most, uh, was, you know, I looked, I tried to do the odds, and I'm not good with math. Some others might be better, but, you know, it's like every 55 years, you know, you, you, could, you could fall, be chosen based on the numbers and the days uh, of the year. That's probably horrible math. Don't go back and fact check me, because I'd lose it. But it was cool, because God knew. God now, did he cause the lot to fall on him, or did God foreknow that the lot was going to fall? I mean, that's a question that we could debate and argue. But nonetheless, God had a plan. He had a plan to give Zechariah and to give Elizabeth new life. And that's a plan that he's got for you. He loves you. He doesn't want you to live in a hopeless place. He doesn't want you to be controlled by any reproach in your life. He doesn't want you to feel like you don't have a purpose, that, that, that God doesn't have an assignment for you in this land that we live in. He doesn't want you to live that way. And I know because he paid again that big price with his death and with his blood for you to have that knowledge, for you to receive that living hope in your life. So if you're here today, if you're here today and that, that you fall into that category, I want to beg you. I want to plead with you as your brother in Christ. And I'll do whatever I can to help you. I'm here. Call me at any time. You know, text me, whatever. Just Or Pastor Robert or, or someone here, one of the leaders here at the church. Just let us know and we will do whatever we can do to come to you and to help you, to encourage you to receive the gift of this living hope that God has for you. And I promise you, I promise you, God has a plan to give you this because he loves you very, very much. And we want you to live in that hope that he has for you. Don't leave here today. Don't leave here today discouraged, depressed, distressed, despair. Please don't leave here today. Promise me, promise me, please don't leave here today without allowing, without starting the process or, or even having that divine moment with God. And maybe you're here today because 
you know God has said something. He's God, you know that God has promised you something. You know that there's something that God, God put a desire in you and it just hasn't happened yet. You're faithful. You know there's no sin issue. You know you're faithful to God. And But you're like, God hasn't answered this yet. God hasn't answered this yet. And I want to promise you this morning that God will answer your prayer. There's a time, there's a test, there's a tribulation, but God is going to answer your prayer. Remain faithful to God. Keep doing what he's called you to do. Keep serving Jesus faithful. And I promise you, God is gonna answer that prayer this morning. And again, I say this, I feel in my spirit, very prophetic this morning to someone who will receive that. That is Jesus speaking to you this morning and telling you that this is my word for you. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today, you would say, Pastor Chris, I never have made a decision to follow Jesus. But today, I want to receive the best Christmas gift I will ever receive in my entire life. I am ready to receive Jesus into my life. I'm ready to follow his plan for my life. I'm going to turn away from, from the way I used to live. I'm going to turn to God who this morning would make that decision by lifting up your hand and saying, I that this morning am saying yes to Jesus. I am going to follow his plan for my life. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Who else? Who else? Who else? I see that hand. Pastor Chris, I'm turning to Jesus this morning. Amen. I want you to pray after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I know that I should have died for my own sin, but you love me so much. Instead, you died in my place. Thank you. I receive you. Help me to follow you and to do your will for my life. Here I am, Lord. Use me. If you prayed that prayer and you slipped up your hand this morning, I want, to, I want you to come and I want you to tell somebody this morning before you leave, come talk to me. Talk to Pastor Robert, uh, uh, Sister Nicole or Sister Autumn or May or anybody there in the back, back there. If you're here, I want you to tell somebody. It's important that you tell somebody. We need to get you ready and get you baptized and get you walking in this living hope that God has for you. I'm gonna call, I'm gonna do an altar call right now though for anybody this morning that would say, Pastor, I just, I, there, there, there is something that, that God has promised to me and, and I'm, I, this morning I just need to know, I need to hear God speak. If that's you this morning or you're here today and you're saying, I, I just, I, I, I am, I'm, I'm coming because I am in despair that I, I just in a hopeless situation. I need deliverance. I need living hope in me. I need the reproach removed. I just need you, God, to set me free today and give me this, this life. Put this life back in me. I want to invite you this morning to come forward and we want to pray with you today because we want you to go home and we want you to go home in this new life that he has for you. We don't want you to leave here without having that encounter with God like Zachariah had in that temple that left him speechless. God wants to do something in you that you would never imagine. And I and Pastor Robert and others want to pray with you today, agree with you in prayer and receive this great living hope that God has for you. If that's you this morning. We want you to come forward and we want to pray with you today about that.